Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. This episode of Solder Smoke is brought to you by JTron. Check them out, www.jtron.com. Okay, guys, it's, um, let's see, what is it, Monday morning, January 9th. 2012. Holy cow! I am overdue for solder smoke. The um, delay, as you might expect, is the result of all kinds of holiday activities around here. Been very busy. Also been very busy melting solder. I know that um, many of you will be pleased to hear that. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. First, the uh, the Santa Claus report. Uh, Maria got ice skates. She is uh, an ice skater. Every Saturday morning, we head out, uh, have uh, waffles, and then head to the ice skating rink and um, she wanted some new ice skates so uh, Santa Claus came through. Billy um, got a new radio controlled airplane and my wife uh, was uh, questioning whether this was in fact for Billy or for me and I said well it's probably for both of us. (laughs) I followed uh, WA6ARA's advice uh, and stuck with um, a company called uh, Hobby Zone but we got their smaller airplane the Champ. It's a beautiful little scale model of a Piper Cub. And uh, our friend Jeff out there with the real Piper Club Cub will be pleased to hear that it flies quite well. And uh, Billy and I were out over the weekend, and uh, he's, he's, got the, uh, he's got the controls. He's got the, uh, he's got the stick, and um, he's getting quite good at it. We uh, crashed it a few times, but it's, it's quite durable, and you can get replacement parts. So uh, three cheers for the uh, Hobby Zone champ. A lot easier to fly than the uh, the first plane that we had, which seemed to have some aerodynamic uh, problems. Um, continuing with the Santa Claus report, Billy's also gotten into photography lately. Uh, he dug up an old uh, brownie uh, box camera that I had somewhere in the corner of the shack here, and he was intrigued by it. So we started uh, looking at it, and we found out you could still get film for these things. So... Uh, off uh, Santa Claus went and got a few rolls of film that was in Billy's stocking and now yesterday he was out uh, taking pictures with the uh, with the brownie box camera um, he also dug up my old Canon AE1 first camera with a chip in it I, I believe and has been taking some pictures with that kind of getting into filmmaking so uh, a new branch of the knack for Billy uh, Santa Claus stuck a new mp3 player in my stocking uh, which is a lot of fun, and I'm now listening to it on the uh, uh, on the Washington D.C. metro system as I head to and from work each day. It gives me the chance to listen in on some of the other uh, podcasts and some music, and uh, I listen to Italian too. I listen to the same <laughs> Italian kind of drive time radio program that I used to listen to when I walked home from work in uh, in Rome. Gets me a bit nostalgic, but it's good to keep in touch with uh, with Italian. No, uh, no travel to report, but we've been sort of traveling vicariously uh, through the uh, the miracle of uh, the technical um, technical miracle of Hulu. We got a new uh, a new TV, and we bought one of these little Roku boxes, so we get streaming video and we can watch TV programs anytime we want. And we got into this uh, BBC series. Those of you in the UK will know what I'm talking about. Doc Martin about. Uh, um, it's sort of a, a kinder, gentler version of Dr. House, but it's uh, set in Cornwall, this beautiful little town, where, by the way, I'm happy to report, but according to the television, it never it never rains or gets cloudy. It's really quite something. 
<laughs> but <laughs> we've gotten into the show, like it quite a bit, and it makes us feel like we're we're back in the United Kingdom. Uh, three cheers for Doc Martin. All right, on to the technical portion of the show, guys. As I said, I've been melting solder. My um, Solar Cycle twenty three twenty four recycle project continues. Um, the the double sideband rig is on the air and making lots of contacts. I've, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Every time I turn that thing on, I manage to talk to somebody, even though it's only putting out about two watts on on each sideband. But um, but great fun and have been working some DX. I've worked into Europe several times. I spoke to Cuba last night, um, and uh, people do seem to get a get a hoot out of the fact that I'm transmitting on both sidebands. But now it's time to take a technological leap into the 1950s and get rid of one of the sidebands. So I am now working on the recycling of the SSB rig that I built uh, shortly after I built the DSB rig. Both these uh, uh, rigs were built in the Azores probably around, nine, probably around 2001, 2002. DSB first, and then the SSB, um, and I, I, um, I'm really having a lot of fun with the recycle project. I'll tell you about the SSB rig here in a second, but first I want to talk about antennas, because one of my uh, radio am- amateur radio uh, New Year's resolutions was to get a, a decent all-band antenna up. I want, a, I want a wire antenna fairly high up in the trees, and I want to be able to tune it on all the HF bands. So, of course, the, the antenna that comes to mind is the doublet fed with open wire line. I've been uh, looking on online at open wire line, at window line mostly. Nothing, none of the real big stuff. And I don't feel like, at this point, fabricating my own open wire feeder. i got a lot of trees, too. It would get hopelessly tangled. So I'm looking at this window line. I guess it's like 300 ohm or 450 ohm window line. The wire man has it. Um... So I'm, I've been taking a look at that, and i looking at my trees quite a lot, too. The neighbors think I'm nuts. I'm standing out in the front yard looking at the trees. <laughs> I'm sure you guys did the same thing. I'm trying to plan where I'm going to put this doublet antenna. i got enough room for an 80-meter half-wave uh, antenna. But the um, the thing is, uh, I it, it's got to be balanced. Um, I've, I've never run an open-wire dipole like this. And uh, I understand that want to get the benefits from it, you really want to have it have it balanced. You want both ends to be pretty much the same distance from the ground. You don't want one end of it going through the trees, because anything like that will disturb the balance. So I'm I'm hoping that that somebody out there will tell me, oh, Bill, don't worry about all that. Just put it up, and you'll work the world on all bands, no problem. So. <laughs> if you're inclined to send me those kinds of words of encouragement, please do so, because um, my antenna project is stalled. Last weekend, I built a um, a balanced antenna tuner, and I was quite pleased with it. I noted this on the uh, on the blog. It's a uh, it's a thing of beauty. It's built out of completely junk box parts. Um, really, uh, I took I put a picture of it up on the blog. I think you guys will like it. It's uh, link coupled. It's got one little coil inside one larger coil works better that way actually the larger coils i think are the are the the output coils from two probably from two dx40s uh they've got taps on them and i just happen to have two of them in my uh junk box and i put them together soldered them together so it's all very symmetrical you'll see in the picture and it's held together by uh, 
uh, partially by Gorilla Tape. By the way, Gorilla Tape, if you guys don't have some Gorilla Tape, head down to Home Depot or your uh, your local equivalent and buy some of this stuff. I like it better than duct tape, and that's saying something. Can you imagine better than duct tape? Holy cow. It's pretty good. Get Gorilla Tape. I like it a lot. Very useful in the shack, all kinds of applications. Um Anyway, we got the link coupling thing going, and we got the. I have two beautiful thousand poof, thousand pipe picofarad uh, capacitors in there, and um, I started experimenting with this thing. I had to, I had to fool around with it a little bit, but man, it works. It uh, I put all different kinds of uh, loads on it, up to about 10k, and uh, it's able to bring the SWR down to a beautiful one to one. I, I took great satisfaction in. Uh, bringing that meter uh, down to uh, down to the bottom of the scale. <laughs> I know it doesn't mean that much, but it, it indicates that the thing that the uh, the balanced antenna tuner is is working properly. All right, now I'll tell you about the SSB rig. I, I really like this one because this is a case of putting soul in a new machine. In this case, putting soul putting more soul in an old machine. You know, we talk about soul in the machine quite a bit. That's the uh, title of the great book about the the deck computers by tracy kidder um soul in the new machine um and i i just really like that title it's one of these one of these recurring themes on this on a podcast with lots of recurring themes but uh the idea is that you build your your rigs in a way that kind of adds a personal touch or some personal history or contributions from friends, or ideas from radio amateurs that you admire. Uh, all of these things sort of add soul to a machine and turn your homebrew creation into something that has a whole lot more personality, a whole lot more meaning than something that just comes from uh, comes in the mail as a result of the use of a credit card. And I'm sure you guys know what I mean. It's sort of, it's not just that it's not an appliance. It's it's not. It's, it's beyond making a homebrew rig. It's making a homebrew rig in a way that adds kind of almost, I don't want to go too far here, but almost a spiritual element to the, uh, to the piece of equipment. And I'll, I'll describe what I'm talking about here. My, um, 17 meter sideband, single sideband, single sideband transmitter was, uh, as I said, built in the Azores 2001, 2002 time period. Um, I built it on an old chassis from uh, a discarded DX40. I had all kinds of DX40s around the shack. The DX40 was my first real uh, amateur radio transmitter. Um, I, re- I used it with my Lafayette HA600A with jeweled movements. Um, and so I have a kind of a sentimental attachment to the DX40. And I guess that's why earlier in my uh, ham radio career I picked up several I, I bought all kinds of junk box dx40s if i was going to a ham fest if there was a dx40 man if it had bullet holes in it i would still buy it because <laughs> it was a dx40 and um, so i have all kinds of dx40 junk and dx40 chassis when it came time to build the ssb rig i looked around for an appropriate chassis and box and there was a, a dx40 so i stripped the dx40 down took everything out of it and built the SSB uh, transmitter on top of the DX40 transmitter. 
DX40 chassis. So there's the first element of, uh, of soul. The, the circuit that I used, the ideas came from G3YCC. I hope I got his, his call right via an article in Sprat. Oh man. It's, um, I hope I got that call right, but, it, but an article in Sprat and, uh, it, it really inspired me. It was a simple, um, uh, simple SSB transmitter. I really got a good idea from that. So there's an element of Sprat there. Um, the parts that I used, I had part, I, yeah, I have a pretty significant junk box. I'm not quite into a hoarder category. They're not going to do a special about me on the Discovery Channel or anything like that, but I have quite a few spare parts here. And at that point, I had, I had parts that I had salvaged from an old Swan 240 transceiver. This Swan 240 transceiver had been given to me by a good friend of mine, a radio amateur in the Dominican Republic. Pericles Perdomo, his uh, call Hotel India 8 Papa. Uh, Pericles is a silent key now, but was a super enthusiastic ham radio operator and had a, not a junk box, but a junk building filled with all kinds of old parts and old rigs. And among that collection was a Swan, uh, a Swan 240 that had been uh, really kind of brutally assaulted both from the AC power line <laughs> avenue and also from the from the antenna connector. I think it had taken all kinds of voltage surges, which weren't unusual in the Dominican Republic, uh, from the rather erratic power system. And also, also I think it, it was it was damaged by uh, lightning or nearby lightning strikes through the antenna connector. So this thing was mostly toast. But there were parts in there that had escaped damage, including the crystals that formed the uh, the lattice filter for the SSB rig, the crystals that ran the various oscillators in there, some variable capacitors, things like that. So I pulled out everything that I thought would be useful through the junk box and years later in the Azores, ran into that article in Sprat Magazine and decided, aha, this is I'm going to use these parts to build my own SSB transmitter. So there's another element of, uh, of soul. Um, let's see what else we have. Oh, um, when I built this thing in the Azores, I, I, the, the DX40 front panel has that big hole in the front for a, um, for a meter. And, you know, the DX40 has that, that, uh, kind of, um, that meter there. And I needed to put something in the hole and I searched around the junk box and I found probably my oldest piece of, um, my oldest junk box component. For some reason as a kid in the, um, in the radio club that I belong to, the Crystal Radio Club, W2DMC in New York, um, they had, you know, junk boxes laying around in the, um, in the, in the, they actually had a shack, a club, the club that had a, a ham shack and a meter there, a little, just a little, um, meter caught my eye, a little meter movement. And I asked the guys in the club if I could have it. I took it. This probably was 1973 or so. And uh, threw it in my junk box, and it had been with me ever since. And it, it followed me, and it actually miraculously made it all the way to the Azores. And uh, it it went into the front panel of that DX40, and that that provided a little bit of a, a meter reading that just showed basically how much power I was pulling from the uh, from the supply. So there's another element of uh, of um, of soul. Now we're going to talk about the, the the additional soul that I'm injecting injecting uh, right now. I wanted to rebuild the um, the the VXO in this rig. I, I just was kind of unsatisfied with what I had done. 
back in the last solar cycle. So I started looking around. I said, look, I need another VXO circuit. Um, I have the crystals. The crystals run at 23, around 23 megahertz. The, the IF on this rig is 5.174, so you can see how we get down to 18 megs. Um, and I said, aha, I am going to use once again the universal VXO circuit of George, George, George Dobbs G3 RJV, president of the GQRP club, founder of the GQRP club. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I really didn't think twice about this. I said, I, that's the circuit I'm going to use because it'll make the rig more meaningful to me to know that I have a circuit in there designed by, by George. So uh, I built that yesterday. I have it sitting in front of me. It is a thing of beauty. Um, and it works just fine. I'm, I'm finding that my crystals, the crystals that I have that I acquired years ago have, um, varying degrees of flexibility. One of them, one of them will pull a full 23, uh, kilohertz. A, uh, the other will only pull about 17 kilohertz, which I find kind of disappointing, but I'm working on it and I'm, I'm working to make sure that the frequency ranges that I have for, um, the, uh, the transmitter will match up with the, uh, the frequency ranges that I have in the VXO controlled, uh, receiver that I'm going to use with this rig, which is here is another element, another element of soul coming along here, guys. Um, this is a, a bare bones super head, um, designed by Doug DeMore. I mean, come on, the, the soul, the soul is just oozing out of this, uh, this arrangement. Uh, Barebone Superhead built by Doug DeMore. The Barebone Superhead was the first Superhead receiver that I ever built. I built a version for 20 meters, built it scratch built, and then liked it so much that, uh, whenever I saw anything mentioned about Barebones on the, um, on the internet, if people were selling one, I would buy one and I bought this one. <clears throat> and, uh, it was already assembled, slightly modified, bought it, threw it on the back bench and left it there for a while pulled it out when I was in London and started poking around with it, trying to figure out what the original builder had done. The original builder had obviously been quite skilled. He'd done a, done a really wonderful job, real fine craftsmanship in putting this together. It was on a far circuits board, and uh, he had changed the IF a bit. A couple things, couple things were different. I started asking questions about it on Rec Radio Amateur, Rec Radio Amateur Homebrew, the Usenet group, and uh, Dale, W4OP, Dale Parfit, uh, a very well-known amateur radio operator held in justifiably high, high esteem. I think he's one of our homebrew heroes on the Solder Smoke blog. Anyway, Dale came back and started helping me, talking to me about what, what I was seeing in the receiver and what had been done. And he and I were discussing what the builder had done, the modifications that he had made. He had changed the, VF, the, uh, the VXO a little bit, had made it kind of a Raptor tuned, and then all of a sudden, uh, Dale came to me and said, well, wait a second. Did it have like a little metal box built around the VXO? And is there like a, a DC to DC converter in there? <laughs> and I said, back in the email, I said, yeah, Dale, it does. And he goes, oh man, I built that one. <laughs> he had built it many years before, sold it to me a few years later. And then we'd all forgotten about it. And when he was helping me kind of figure out what had gone on with this rig, after a while, he realized that we were talking about the rig that he had built. There you go. A little bit more soul, but one more of a little bit. You know, here, here's, here's a kind of a, I think this is 
this is kind of funny. The, you know, the, um, the bare bones superhead. It's also known as the Barbados receiver because Doug DeMoor took one on a trip to Barbados with him. Anyway, uh, the bare bones superhead, his original design had an IF of 3.579 megahertz. The color burst crystal that they, the color burst frequency, the color burst crystal, there's millions and zillions of them out there. I have a big bag of them myself. Okay, so I built mine and I used the 3.579 megahertz IF. And one thing I discovered when I started, when I first put the receiver on the air, I was delighted that it worked, but I discovered that I was hearing signals that I shouldn't be hearing. I was hearing signals from outside the, the 20 meter band. And I quickly determined that the signals that I was listening to were from W1AW. <laughs> well, for, first I was somehow I was getting some interference from a broadcast station on the shortwave bands. And it was um, kind of a, a religious broadcaster. And then well, I built a little filter up front and took care of that. But then what the really persistent problem was W1AW and at first I didn't realize what was going on but I re- then I realized that what was going what was happening was that they were uh, transmitting um, very close their their CW practice session is very close to 3.579 and it was just skipping right over my front end and uh, and mixer and going right into the IF and uh, because the IF was at 3.579 I was also getting in the background W1AW doing code practice <laughs> so I had to straighten that out. Now, I ran into a similar problem with with this receiver, with this little receiver that uh, that Dale Parfit had had built. Now, I I, I just I pulled it out of the uh, off the shelf here. I dusted it off. And I checked it out. Everything's working just fine. I have it in a nice little cabinet. I've got a picture of it up on the blog. If you guys want to check it out, looks really nice. You can see the little box that Dale added. I put a little switching arrangement in there so I could switch uh, crystal ranges to give me a little bit more tuning. I get about 25 kC from each crystal, so with two of them I get about 50 kCs. It's very nice. It's all you need really on on 17 meters. But then I'd have it playing in the background as I was working in the shack, and I noticed after a while this kind of annoying audio hum there all the time, just just kind of annoying. And amidst the hiss, you'd hear this hum, this kind of not a hum, just like a tone. An annoying tone. My first thought was, uh, uh, something's going on. There's some sort of audio oscillation in there. But then I did a quick check. I disconnected the antenna. And um, when I disconnected the antenna, the uh, the oscillation disappeared. Aha! So there's no audio oscillation. It's coming in. It's coming in from the ether. <laughs> Something's in there. And I was thinking, what the heck is that? And I started poking around and and I didn't didn't do any real extensive um, troubleshooting, but then as I was listening, as I was working on the um, the Universal VXO, I noticed that there was also under sort of underneath the tone a strange ticking sound, tick, 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 and I started thinking, what the heck? I went up there and I started playing around with it. Now, I, what I did is I pulled out the crystals. So I, I shut down the uh, the oscillator and the mixer, and there it was. It was still there, and now I can listen even more closely. And faint in the background, I heard that familiar voice 
from WWV and the National Bureau of Standards. <laughs> the same thing was happening to this receiver as has happened with my original version, but because Dale had switched the IF to 5 megahertz, I was picking up the WWV transmissions on 5 megahertz. They were skipping right over the front end, and I was getting WWV's time signals there. <laughs> so, well, that'll be easy to fix. I'll put a little notch filter in the front end. But there you go, guys. Some, um, oh, wait a second. Hold on. There's even more, even more. So to the SSB rig, the, the, the final very significant injection of soul will come when I put in a JBot amp, the Just a Bunch of Transmitters amplifier designed by our, our friend in Hyderabad, uh, Farhan, uh, VU2ESE, Farhan's JBot amplifier. I have one in the DSB rig. I'm going to use one in the SSB rig, SSB rig not only because it's a, a very nice, a very easy to get going um, a, a design, but because it's designed by Farhan, and then this will add another element of, of soul to the old machine. Um, all right, guys, so I'm going to take a break now, and I think we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. All right. We're always happy to have as a sponsor a company that's run by uh, somebody with the knack, and that's definitely the case with uh, JTron. Uh, Jim, W2KLM, has been a radio amateur for many years. He he still enjoys building kits, playing around with circuits. It all started with a, as a kid for him, when, and it involved a chemistry set, and you know what I'm talking about. He's just got the knack. He's one of us. And he's running a company. He's been in business for the last 16 years. He's an online supplier of um, radio parts and electronic gear. It's a very nice site. I urge you to check it out, www.jtron.com. Let me tell you more about it. I was visiting the site just this morning. Um, he's got tons of small parts for builders and hams, large selection of transistors, interconnects, PC board supplies, cores, kits, etc., He's got an online contest going on. Lately, he's been selling an ECG soldering iron. And um, let's see, he's always got the um, odd parts that he's adding onto the site. I visited the site this morning. He had some um, some really interesting kits, including some Ramsey kits I saw there. Um, let's see. He's an authorized distributor for uh, NTE, ECG, and Fillmore Manufacturing. Let's see. I'm going to go online sales only. Let's see. What else we got here? I'm going to take a look. Oh, he's got the, an Alenco AM-FM radio kit with IC, um, a Components Corporation surface mount test probe, um, uh, a, a DATAC battery monitor kit, um, a Velman Incorporated 80 assorted LED kit, and a Ramsey Electronics Sniffit RF detector probe, all there up on the front page. And uh, it's a very nicely organized site to get to it. It's uh, www.j-tron.com, www.j-tron, all one word, dot com. Or you could just go to the Solder Smoke blog and click on the resistor, the big J-Tron resistor. You click on that resistor and it'll take you right to, uh, to Jim's site. Check it out. I'm sure you'll all enjoy it and find it a good place to, to buy your parts. Thanks, Jim. All right, we're back, and uh, during the pause, I checked on a couple of things. Yeah, the call sign that I was wondering about before, I had it right, G3 
YCC. That's Frank Lee. And uh, Frank was a very prolific contributor to Sprat and other publications. He's now a silent key, but his uh, his website lives on. A lot of good good circuits. And I was pleased to include one of his in uh, in my SSB rig there. And I, I made a mistake. I, I said that the uh, airplane that uh, Billy is, cub, is flying is a, a Piper Cub. Actually, it's not. It's a Champ. I think the name of the company is Aronka, A-E-R-O-N-C-A, Aronka. <laughs> I'm trying to pronounce it in Spanish. <laughs> but, um, apparently, the Champ was a competitor uh, to the Piper Cub. And I, I did a little bit of... Uh, Wikipediaing on it yesterday, and uh, but I'm going to tell Jeff. You know, I, I'm going to think of it as a Piper Cub because it's yellow. It's just like Jeff's uh, Piper Cub. So for me, it's going to be a Piper Cub. We're going to call it the Piper Cub. I had to go. I had to go buy some replacement parts for it yesterday. It uh, it's very light. It, it's very durable. But uh, man, we <laughs> when you fly it, you know, vertically into the ground, it uh, it it does some damage. So I, I went out to the site and I bought some of the. Uh, a replacement tail and a replacement wing. Anyway, there we go. You know, uh, speaking of um, technical difficulties, I've had an unusual amount of trouble here lately. I told you I took a pause from the building to uh, square away the workbench and the test gear. <laughs> I, I have it. I thought I, I thought I was done. Everything was was all set, and um, I thought everything was well organized. I, uh, you know, I, I changed. I, I did all kinds of uh, pruning and tweaking to get everything sort of in the right position. Um, did some, you know, calibrations. I've got, I've got my uh, digital uh, voltmeters uh, held up by Velcro so that they're properly positioned, so I'm not fumbling around with the leads. You know, I spent a little time working on on efficiency. And what was my reward for this? You know, I, you know. It's almost as if the, some but some force was working against me here, because when I was working on the um, the Universal VXO for the SSB transmitter, I had my finger on top of the variable cap, and I brought the soldering iron up because it was time to wire the uh, the variable cap into the circuit. And as soon as I touched the uh, soldering iron to the uh, to the connection. Through the other side of the cap, I got a pretty good jolt through my thumb, and I said, "What the heck is that?" So, at first, I thought it might have been just, you know, kind of a transient coming off the the relay. But I already had a diode across the little relay. I got a relay in the circuit because I like to be able to switch two crystals from the front panel. So I thought it was that, and I said, "No, no, I got. The, I already put the diode in there." And I I looked, and sure enough, it's the soldering iron. <laughs> I have uh, a little soldering iron kit. Actually, it's a it's a it's a it's a soldering iron that Mike a KL7R had recommended. It's been been doing a great job here for for four or five years. But I took the the soldering iron and I put the uh, the digital voltmeter onto the uh, onto the probe, and sure enough, it shows about eighty five volts AC on the probe that's not good <laughs> you know <laughs> it made me realize i wonder why I, w I wondered why i was destroying so many 
MPF-102 FET transistors. Remember I, I was talking about that in the last episode or the one before about how I've been surprised that uh, so many of these uh, little JFETs have gone toes up. I thought that they were more durable than that. Well, it wasn't what was going on in the circuit that was killing them. It was my soldering iron with 85 volts AC on the tip. I didn't even know. Who would have thunk, as they say? Um, you know, so I cracked the thing open and I started looking around in there. And then I realized, wait a second, this is pretty bad when you have to start troubleshooting your soldering iron. Oh, well, I, I think I probably know what it is. It's, it's probably just that the heating element there, whatever heating coil that they have kind of leading up to the tip, probably just, just shorted out to the, to the metal casing around it. Uh, you know, fortunately, I have some backup soldering irons here. I dug into the, the junk box and found an old uh, Weller um, soldering iron, and I just plugged it into the back of the soldering station. Soldering station is nothing more than a variable voltage source, so that you can you can reduce the temperature a little bit on it, um, and it's working just fine. So uh, I don't know, man. Pretty bad when your your soldering iron rebels against you. Speaking of uh, rebellions on the workbench, this is not really a rebellion. This is more of a of a kind of a subversive force. This is um, something that we all have to watch out for. I want to warn you guys of. Um, of a danger. Those of you who are newer, new to home home brewing, might not be aware of this, but uh, it's a an insidious threat. It it looks it's it's a it's a component that seems so simple. It looks like it would be your friend. You feel like you're doing the right thing when you include this component in your rig, but watch out, fellas, because there's danger in that RG one seventy four cable. This is the little bit little mini coax little skinny coax and you think ah I'm going to use this because I want to properly transport that RF from one side of the circuit out to the antenna connector or from the oscillator to the uh, local oscillator input port on your mixer you know you got to move that RF around and you figure yeah be good engineering practice to use that RG up 174 it is but there's a danger that comes with it guys and you know what the danger is it's those little wires in the braid. You know, you pull off the insulation and you're greeted by this almost fuzzy looking little silver braid there. And it's got all these little wires in it. And of course, in the act of pulling off the plastic insulation, you've probably pulled off a handful of those little wires. Each of them, you know, about an eighth of an inch long, just a few, few millimeters there. But let me tell you, if you allow those things to start floating around, I guarantee you that they're going to land precisely in the wrong place. And it's going to lead you into an hour or so of completely frustrating and unnecessary troubleshooting. I speak from experience here. This has happened to me. So watch out for that little braid on the RG174 coax. No matter what you do, there's always little, little metallic threads floating around. This leads me to something else another danger, a closely related danger, and a new word. I'm going to give you guys a new word. I've been in this game for a long time, but I had never heard of SWARF. I say again, SWARF, S-W-A-R-F. How many of you out there know what SWARF is? Please raise your hands. All right, not too many. Um, <laughs> SWARF, I was alerted to uh, the danger of SWARF, 
and uh, I was alerted to the word itself by that fine publication QRP Quarterly, QQ, from QRP ARCI. More about that in a bit, but uh, I was reading an article in an old issue of QQ, probably on the Washington Metro system in the morning, and it was in the uh, technical tips uh, part of the, the magazine, which I really enjoy. Um, swarf is what happens. Swarf is what results when you take a, a drill and you drill through anything, I guess, metallic. It's the little bits of metal that are thrown up, you know, from drilling. You know, <laughs> little bits of metal that have been replaced by the hole that you just put in there. You know, these little shards of metal come out. And they, like the uh, metallic threads in the RG-174, can mess up your entire home brewing day. Um, these little bits of metal are called swarf. I guess we should come up with a word for the uh, little bits of metal from the RG-174. <laughs> if anybody has any ideas, send them to me. But swarf is the, um, uh, the stuff that comes from the drill. And the QQ article, of course, they never... They never give you a problem without giving you a solution, a practical solution, a solution for a real workbench. And the solution that they came up with, which I, I thought was pretty cool, you get like a little piece of putty and you put it on over the spot that you want to drill the hole in. And then you put the drill through the putty and then drill there. So any swarf that's picked, that's, that's kicked up is captured by the putty and you remove the putty. Ha ha ha, no more swarf. If only we could come up with something similarly ingenious to protect us from the danger of metallic threads from RG-174. It would be a happy day in the homebrew land. Listen, uh, speaking of QRP Quarterly, I've been reading a lot of it. I found um, I really like it, and uh, and I've been carrying old copies with me on the, um, on the Washington Metro system. Lots of QRP and homebrew wisdom in that in that publication in the recent edition i in the most recent edition i found an article by pete giuliano on his um ss 17 meter ssb transceiver i found it to be quite inspirational really really good stuff very uh, candid advice uh from pete i really like his articles because he's um, he's very honest about the trials and tribulations that come with uh, with home brewing especially home brewing ssb gear <clears throat> and um, I, in an older article by Pete, I, um, I found reference to problems that he was having stabilizing um, an RF uh, power amplifier. And it was right around the point that I was struggling with similar problems, uh, getting my um, JBOT amplifier tamed. And I, I just found it very reassuring to, to come across uh, Pete's reference to similar problems with another amp that he was working with. Anyway, uh, it, it, you should really check out Pete's article on uh, on his new 17-meter SSB transceiver. Truly inspirational. I, I was so inspired, I reached out to uh, QRP ARCI and, and uh, got uh, Santa Claus to put the, uh, the CD uh, disc with all the back issues of QQ, uh, of QRP Quarterly, into my stocking. And they sent it to me with a very uh, attractive carrying bag for the QRP ARCI anniversary that I will be carrying with me to Hamfest real soon. Oh, by the way, I'm going to uh, Winterfest, the uh, Vienna Wireless Association Winterfest Hamfest held uh, right here in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. 
I think it's the the last weekend in February, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to have a few copies of Solder Smoke the book, but um, but I digress. Speaking of publications, um, first uh, thanks to all the guys at QRPARCI and everybody puts out QQ for putting out a really fine publication. Hey, um, the '73 magazine archive caper. <laughs> Many of you guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, one fine morning on QRPL, we were greeted with the news that the entire digital archive of 73 Magazine had uh, somehow appeared on the um, the Wayback Machine or one of the sites like that. Um, and it was available for download. And I think a lot of us just, you know, because of our great love for 73 Magazine and because of the, the long burning desire that many of us had to uh, have had to have a complete uh, collection of this fine publication available to us, I think there was an awful lot of real quick downloading, you know. And uh, I don't think pe- I don't think folks asked a whole lot of questions about uh, the um, about the copyright issue and things like that. And I think a lot of people just assumed that um, whoever did the uploading did the right thing. And I, it's still not entirely clear to me. But um, I, I was, I, I was um, really uh, encouraged to see the great interest in in seventy three magazine because it's, uh, you know, behind that interest is an interest in home brewing and uh, and uh, and QRP and and it just brought back great memories about the kind of wacky zany kind of uh, out there nature of uh, seventy three magazine, sort of the mad magazine of of ham radio, and of course there's that famous cover. That we have up on the solder smoke video, uh, the solder smoke slideshow of uh, Alfred E. Newman standing there with a Weller solder, soldering gun in his hand <laughs> and a piece of solder. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The Mad Magazine of Ham Radio. Okay, seventy-three. All right. Um, other notes from the literature. You know, I look a lot. I spend a lot of time reading old magazines. I get great ideas from from it. And uh, Spratt is, of course, one of my favorites. And I was heartened uh, recently to be looking at an old copy of 73 Magazine. And there's always the picture of, uh, of George Dobbs, G3, RJV, in there on, on page two. And I, I, I saw some of the pictures from the older editions, and it shows George in his very highly organized, very impressive um, workbench, at his workbench. In many of those pictures, and I'd forgotten about that, he's, he's standing there with a D104 microphone in hand. And, you know, every time I, I have a picture, every time a picture of a D104 appears on the blog, I get some emails from people saying, hey, what's that What's that CB gear doing in your shack? What's with that microphone? I think part of this is just sort of the um, the, the hardcore CW guys don't like don't like the microphone but also i think some especially american radio amateurs sort of associate that chrome lollipop with um, the world of of citizens band and i have always rejected that i've always pointed out that the aesthetic d104 is a, a venerable and respectable bit of true amateur radio equipment that predated citizens band by by many decades and um and here we we find further confirmation of the uh, of the complete uh, suitability of the D104 for the ham radio operator, in uh, in the fact that we have a radio amateur like uh, 
like George Dobbs G3RJV holding one in his hand there in a picture uh, on the uh, inside cover page of Sprat magazine. So there you go. Three cheers for the D104. Three cheers for George Dobbs Sprat. Great. Speaking of Sprat, I found in an older issue, not too old, but a more recent issue, Sprat 128. There's a picture in there of a, a radio amateur who's deservedly got a lot of attention lately from us and from um, from Mike Rainey and others. Uh, Vlad Polyakov, the uh, inventor of the Polyakov subharmonic detector. Um, this is the, um, the 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 mixer circuit that you could use in a direct conversion receiver on which you, you have two diodes there and you run the um, you run the oscillator at one half of the the target frequency and through the uh, the miracle of of mixing and the use of two diodes you're able to run the oscillator not at the operating frequency but at one half the operating frequency uh, thereby resolving all kinds of uh, problems related to um, the um, uh, the the problems that result sometimes when you have the uh, the direct conversion receiver with the oscillator running right at the operating frequency. There's something else here. Anyway, good to see a picture of, of Vlad there in Sprat 128. Um, hold on one second here. Okay, I found it here. There's something I wanted to read to you guys. This is a, a real blast from the past. Somewhere along the line I was thinking about um, my early days in ham radio and um, and specifically about uh, TR switching, um, you know, and, and how you arrange for um, to switch from transmit to receive. And I'm sure, I'm sure many of you guys have been there, as I have, in, in, you know, kind of station arrangements where you had to throw three or four switches and <laughs> disconnect a couple of uh, test leads before you went from transmit to receive. But um, I, as a kid... I had the 1973 edition of the ARRL uh, handbook. I still have it. I'm holding it in my hands right now. And there was a paragraph that I read that really um, kind of stuck in my mind and, and at the time really motivated me to get my TR switching act together. And I read you from page 640. The, the chapter is Assembling a Station. Uh, power connectors and control and it's almost as if the old man himself was was speaking here and it says and I quote in any amateur station worthy of the name it should be necessary to throw no more than one switch to go from receive to transmit condition indeed <laughs> I took that to heart you know on that page on the next page over there's a picture of two kids who were probably about my age at the time but I was so jealous of these guys they were so far advanced so more much more advanced than me shows you these two teenagers sitting there they look like they're about 13 or 14 years old WB0FMH and WB0DMX guys if you're listening man I was jealous they because I'll read you the caption of the picture WB0FMH and WB0DMX are shown at the operating position of their high school club station. This very active radio club is equipped for all bands from 1.8 MHz to 450 MHz on several modes, including slow-scan television. And they got that robot slow-scan TV monitor and a robot camera up there above them. Man, 
Wow, we didn't have anything like that in my school. But anyway, I wanted to share with you that, that and, and I hope you all remember the, the admonition from the old man, no more than one switch to go from T to R. Uh, real good. Oh, another quote. I got you read, read you another quote. I told you. Oh, here it's over here. Go to book, another book, and I got it marked. Look at that. How efficient is that? Anyway, I told you I've been reading this. Um, uh, I actually kind of quit reading it because he, he's not such a pleasant character. The book about Steve Jobs. Um, and uh, I found that the more I read about Steve, um, the less I liked him. <laughs> But the more I read about some of the people around him, the more I liked them, especially um, Wozniak, Steve Wozniak. And I, I think I gave you a, a quote in the last one about um, from Steve Jobs. But here's another one, and this is about the kind of teenage ham radio and high school and social isolation. And I read now from page 23. This is from, uh, you know, uh, Walter Isaacson's book. Steve Jobs, quote, um, Woz became more of a loner when the boys his age began going out with girls and partying, endeavors he found far more complex than designing circuits, quote, where before I was popular and riding bikes and everything, suddenly I was socially shut out, he recalled. It seemed like nobody spoke to me for the longest time. He found an outlet by playing juvenile pranks. In 12th grade, he built an electronic metronome, one of those tick-tick-tick devices that keep time in music class, and realized it sounded like a bomb. So he took the labels off some big batteries, taped them together, and put it in a school locker. He rigged it to start ticking faster when the locker opened. Later that day, he got called to the principal's office. He thought it was because he had won, yet again, the school's top math prize. <laughs> Instead, he was confronted by the police. The principal had been summoned when the device was found, Bla bravely ran onto the football field, clutching it to his chest, and pulled the wires off. Waz tried and failed to suppress his laughter. He actually got sent to the juvenile detention center, where he spent the night. It was a memorable experience. He taught the other prisoners how to disconnect the wires leading to the ceiling fans and connect them to the bars so people got shocked when touching them. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Was. <laughs> Man, I, these days I don't think they'd let him out of the juvenile detention center. Holy cow. Anyway, I thought, I thought the bit about the social isolation was pretty good. Again, some of us have been, have been there. Um, Look, we got a nice recording on Straight Key Night, and I'm going to try to get that in right now. WA6ARA sent this in about his uh, his um, experiences on Straight Key Night. Let me let me go to that now. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Mike. That was um, straight key night this year, New Year's Eve, about how, an hour after the start. It was 40 meters. Uh, Mike, the A6ARA, sent that in. Uh, he said that this year his key duty was split between his father's brass no-name key from before World War II and a World War II German T2 that he recently inherited. Uh, Mike said he had some great QSOs, including some on the satellites, as well as one with WW7P, who has over 500 keys in his collection. And Mike says that overall it was nice to slow down and just bang out CW rather than using a feather touch device and the code made via electronics. Very good. Thanks for sending that, uh, Mike. I, I liked the one, the one signal in there that had the real kind of blooper sound. I know a lot of guys object to that, but I think it gives that CW note some character. I think the last three letters in his call were S-E-U. Didn't catch the first bit, but uh, thanks, and, and nice to have some CW in the uh, in the solder smoke here for a while, every, 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 every once in a while. All right, let's see. Solder smoke mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, solder smoke mailbag. Uh, Got a nice report from uh, Nigel M0NDE. Nigel, uh, you'll recall, is uh, our frequent correspondent from the Dover Constructors Club. And Dover is over there, and it's all in southern England, but Dover is over there on the east side. And uh, and uh, um, Nigel was in cahoots with um, with Tony and uh, and and ENG3ROO. Over there, they had a great group. I, I visited them 
a um, couple of years ago when we went back to the UK. Had a great visit. Got up, went up and used uh, Ian's uh, suitcase spy radio. Great stuff. I keep coming across articles um, from Ian in old sprats and, uh, and where else was I seeing them? Yeah, just in, in old sprats. A lot of really great articles I found. Also in the uh, GQRP um, book that they put out a few years ago on uh, construction articles. I have that and I occasionally grab it as we're heading out on a shopping trip or something and uh, keep it with me. So anyway, uh, Nigel sent in a nice report. He has um, moved from Dover out to the to the West Country to Somerset, and um, and uh, he's uh, talking about his homebrew adventures out there. I, I think it's a natural that uh, that that uh, Nigel would hook up with uh, Tim Walford and his group out there, the publishers of Hot Iron, and I'm trying to encourage that. So uh, Tim, if you're listening, look up Nigel. He's a He's a true knack victim. He knows one end of the soldering iron from the other, and I think he'd be a good addition to the uh, to the group out there in Somerset. Uh, Nigel also sent me a report on a, a new development in the world of computers, the Raspberry Pi. I don't know if you guys have heard about Raspberry Pi, but it's a um, it's a small, really basic computer, but a complete computer, and I think. Um, yeah, a real basic computer with all the, the basic functions on one little board, and they're going to sell it for $25. <laughs> this is going to be exciting. I, it looks like it's about the size, I think, of, a, of an Arduino board, but it's got the whole computer in there, the CPU, the whole bit. And so I think this might shake things up in the, uh, in the microcomputing world. Check it out. Our friend uh, Roger out there in, uh, on, the, on the West Coast who's provided so much assistance over the years, sent me a website about um, uh, a, a museum, that an art museum that is looking at workshops, and it's considering workshops as works of art. And he sent me a picture. They've got all these pictures of these really beautiful workshops. And I, I wrote back to Roger saying that, uh, well, in terms of, my workshop, my shack, if it was considered a work of art, it would definitely, at this point at least, because of the of the messiness and the chaos, uh, would have to be included in sort of the abstract modern art section of the uh, of the museum. <laughs> Thanks for sending that uh, um, to to us, Roger. I got a quote here. Hold on a second. I'm going to find a quote here. Okay, here it is. I found it. It's uh, it's from Farhan. Farhan has been active lately. He always been, but but he's always been active, but a bit more active lately on the BitX20 um, news group, providing assistance to folks around the world who are building the BitX20. And he's responding here in uh, late December to a question about um, coil specifications for 40 meters in the BitX20 linear amp. Um, and he, he gives some good technical information and he says, um, but he, he concludes with something that I thought was uh, very nice and very humble. The purpose of my long rant is that a simple thing like a doubly tuned circuit hides a very complex engineering challenge. When we are, when, when we need a new bandpass, it is also an opportunity to increase our understanding of these things. 
No one understands these things entirely, but we can better our understanding all the time, Farhan. Words of wisdom. Yes, indeed. Thanks a lot, Farhan. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Checking out the uh, the email box here. Oh, this was a funny one. This came in this morning on QRPL. I got a kick out of this because it's related to what I was uh, talking about last time. Um, on QRPL, they're, they're talking about... Um, um, what is it? Uh, antennas. And N8XX Hank uh, comes up with uh, two maxims from uh, about antennas. And these um, these maxims come from uh, a fellow named Jack Wright, R-I-E-T-H, W-8-H-Q-K, who's a silent key. But he left behind some, uh, some real words of wisdom on antennas. And the first maxim from... Uh, from O.M. Reith is, one, if it stays up more than one winter, it's not long enough or high enough. And number two, and this is my favorite, the best performing antenna is one put up in the most inclement weather. And Hank notes that this is called Reith's Law of Maximum Inclemency. (laughs) All right, thanks for that. Reith's Law of Maximum Inclemency. Very good. Let's see here. Moving down the mailbox. Um, yeah, a Popular Electronics has something interesting. Uh, on January 1, Popular Communications Magazine launched the Popcom Monitoring Station Program, reminiscent of Popular Electronics Magazine's Monitor Station, uh, Popular Monitor Station, WPE program of more than 50 years ago. It's deja vu all over again and absolutely free. Go to... Uh, uh, popcommonitors.blogspot.com sounds kind of interesting shortwave listening just those words shortwave listening bring back uh, happy memories for me and I'm sure for for, for many of you guys um, got a nice message here from um, um, Chris Hilton uh, KJ6TBS talking about how um, the podcasts have brought him into the solder smoke and he's got his ham radio license and he's beginning to do homebrew projects and uh Great, great to hear that. Thanks very much for sending that in, Chris. Good luck to you. Let's see what else here. Um, oh, got a, got a really cool email from from Dave, uh, WA5DJJ. Those are call signs well known to everybody who's involved in QRSS. And he sends us a report about a group called the Las Cruces QRSS Mafia. <laughs> they had a New Year's 2012 on-the-air celebration on 30 meters this New Year's Day. They got 14 transmitters on the air, and they managed to completely jam up the Pensacola Snapper. The Pensacola Snapper is a grabber. Uh, obviously, we're not a Pensacola by W4HBK, and it's, uh, it's a great grabber. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Bill does a great job there in pulling in the signals on 30 meters and displaying them on the Internet. But... Uh, uh, Dave and his group got the 14 transmitters on the air. They helped the guys put up antennas, installing, installing, install the antennas, build the transmitters, program the keyers, and you can see the results because I posted the uh, the picture on the blog. Uh, very, very good. What a great uh, way. I, I joked with Dave. I said, you know, it was New Year's Eve, and since they were using QRSS, I guess we'd have to call it Slow Key Night. Get it? <laughs> Little QRSS humor. Um, let's see here. Stand by. Oh, here's one that I want to share with you guys. 
comes from Gary, KF6U. Hi, Bill. I finished reading your book, Solder Smoke, a few weeks ago and enjoyed it quite a lot. It was a very entertaining read, and I appreciate your adventures of international hamdom. Being an amateur astronomer also, I frequent, I frequent the website of space weather often. A few days ago, I had they had a beautiful photo of some nacreous clouds. That got me to thinking, can the rising plumes of solder smoke we generate be considered nacreous clouds? You know, K-N-A-C-K-R-E-O-U-S, nacreous clouds. <laughs> Sorry, Bill, I couldn't resist a little solder smoke humor. I, I thought this was pretty good. I replied to Gary that uh, first I was going to share this with uh, Steve Snort Rosin Smith. Uh, and uh, Steve Steve really got a kick out of it. I noted in my message to Steve that I thought that the nacreous clouds uh, could produce a 60-40% uh, percent chance of rain. <laughs> Man, we, this, is, this, is, this is terrible. Ba-dum-bum. Hold on. We've got an email from Ron Rosmer who read the book. Uh, Ron is um, interested in, in finding English-speaking... Uh, radio amateurs out there in the east of Russia in Vladivostok area. So if anybody knows anything about that, let us know. Uh, Ken Berglund wrote in and he used a, a bit of a solder smoke blog in the uh, ham radio newsletter of his club. Really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Lots of guys wrote in about the, uh, the stories that appeared on the web about the first hackers, about people who tried deliberately to uh, interfere with some of Marconi's early radio demonstrations. Uh, Really, uh, really um, very interesting. Got some emails about the um, SD's catalog, uh, the SD's rocket catalog. A lot of guys like that. I put a picture of that up on the blog. SD's has released um, kind of, uh, well, e-copies, electronic versions of all of their catalogs. So you can go back and check out and find the one that you uh, kind of drooled over as a, as a teenager, as I did. Got a nice email from uh, West W7ZOI. He came across a uh, Facebook page that somebody had put up about um, about his books, about solid-state design for the radio amateur and uh, uh, experimental methods in RF design. Um, he was wondering if, if I had anything to do with it because I, I refer to S the solid-state design book as SSDRA. And uh, Wes notes that uh, um, before solder smoke, it was always referred to as just SSD. But uh, I know I had nothing to do with the Facebook page, but it, it got me thinking and just uh, about how great both books are. Um, we sometimes kind of make reference to the earlier book, but that's taken nothing away from the, the subsequent, the second version, EMRFD, which is, I think, uh, much, much improved and contains a lot of information. I, I was just recently using the, uh, the CD-ROM from Experimental Methods and RF Design. I really like the FBA, the feedback amp program that comes on that CD, and I find myself looking at EMRFD all the time. I just coincidentally came across a, uh, a reference to experimental methods in RF design from Pat Hawker, um, G3VA, the, um, the esteemed uh, author of technical topics in the GQRP magazine Radcom, about 50 years of, uh, of contributions to ham radio. I lately have been grabbing um, kind of the compilations of, of technical topics. And I was reading one the other day, and uh, it, it was from around the time that Experimental Methods came out. 
And Wes, if you're listening, Pat uh, gave you a very, very favorable review, and rightly so. Uh, so I thought that was very nice. I, I asked on the, uh, on the blog what, sh- what I should do with a wave meter, and um, uh, I got a couple of suggestions. One from, well, both from, from people that I, I, I really admire in ham radio. Uh, one from uh, Peter Parker, VK3YE. And uh, Peter is a, a guru of homebrew, um, homebrew phone gear, homebrew telephony, uh, double sideband and single sideband. And uh, Peter suggested that I turn this uh, this box with a nice variable capacitor into, of course, a double sideband phone rig. I'm with you. I'm with you, Peter. And uh, Tony, our friend out there in Dover, G4WIF, one of the uh, the one of the uh, the forces behind Sprat and the GQRP club, but Tony uh, suggested that I use it for um, a piece of test gear, kind of a spectrum analyzer thing that I could use that you would be able to hook it up with an old oscilloscope and turn it into a useful piece of test gear. Um, thanks for those ideas, guys. And I mentioned a few minutes ago uh, Steve Smith. Steve sent in, when I when I mentioned that I was going to take a pause in the home brewing and, and work on my workbench, uh, Steve sent me some very, uh, very um, sent me a very thoughtful email about test gears and workbenches and things like that. And I, I thought so much of it, I put it up on the blog. So, thanks for that. Um, thanks very much for that, Steve. Uh, very useful stuff. I, I, guys, thinking of speaking of test gear, um, this uh, one of the uh, the webs one of the auction websites. I happened to get a, a, a an auction website from uh, Salvex. I guess they they handle, you know, kind of liquidations of companies, and they were uh, somebody might have sent this to me, or it just might have happened to pop up on my screen. I don't know, but it was, they were auctioning off a, a nice a Tektronix oscilloscope, the kind that uh, I think the same model that the Farhan is using. So I instantly bid on it, and I got into a bidding war with a fella in Tennessee. If it's if it's a solder smoke listener, uh, my apologies, but. Uh, we went back and forth and back and forth, and finally the bidding got up to about 160 bucks, and I was the top bidder. I figured, wow, that's great. I'm going to get the uh, the scope, but nothing happened. No, nothing. No communication. Nothing. The, the auction continued to remain open for a long period beyond the close date. And then finally, I asked about it, and they said, oh well, no, we just decided not to sell it because the uh, the seller wanted fifteen hundred dollars for it. So. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, we'll we'll still work on it. Meanwhile, the the Hameg ten megahertz scope uh, helps out. Not perfect, but better than nothing. All right, guys. On that note, um, that that concludes um, this week's episode of uh, of Solder Smoke. Remember, this episode of Solder Smoke was brought to you by Jtron, an excellent supplier of bits, bobs, pieces, parts, kits, radio stuff. Check them out, www.jtron, that's j-tron.com. Uh, and I think you'll, you'll really like that visit. Thanks for, the, uh, thanks for listening to Solder Smoke. I hope 2012 is going well for you. A belated Happy New Year's to all, and uh, 7-3 from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes, and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. 
Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... We have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!